Good morning, church. Well, for the past few weeks, we've been reading and studying the beginning chapters of the Bible. We've seen sin enter the world in the Garden of Eden through Adam and Eve. And we've seen God begin to form a nation through the call of Abraham and Sarah, a nation through which God would reveal himself to the world. And last week, we saw Joseph, a great-grandson of Abraham, who was sold into slavery in Egypt by his jealous brothers, and how God used even the most difficult things that happened to Joseph and worked them together for good. Joseph, after many years of trouble, rose to become the second in command in all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. And Joseph saved the nation of Egypt during a terrible drought that lasted for seven years. And his own family, his father Jacob and his 11 brothers and their families, all came in tow and settled in the land of Goshen in Egypt. So they too were spared from the drought. They were welcomed by Pharaoh. They settled down. They began to raise their families and grow and prosper. But then a problem arose. Doesn't it seem like there's always a problem? <laughs> I mean, think about your own life. So many times things are just going along so great, so great in fact, that it seems like we get lulled into this fat, dumb, and happy kind of complacency. Sometimes the storm clouds can be gathering on the horizon and we're not even aware that they are there because we're too busy enjoying ourselves. At the very beginning of the book of Exodus, we are presented with the problem Chapter 1, verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. Now, originally, the Israelites had come into Egypt because conditions were difficult in their own home country. They needed to escape the harsh conditions and the lack of food in Canaan. And so Egypt was a natural choice since it could be reached on foot. And Egypt was a wealthy country. Word on the street was that Egypt had prepared to weather this drought and they had storehouses full of food. Egypt was a land of plenty. Well, 400 years went by after Jacob's family migrated there and everything had been just fine. But then the Israelites began to get too numerous. The Egyptians began to notice just how many of them there were. They were everywhere. Maybe the Egyptians were afraid the Hebrews would change their culture or even the language of Egypt. Maybe they just didn't like them being so many of them. They felt like they had to do something. So the Egyptians hatched a plan. Exodus 
So they, the Egyptians, put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Isn't that often the case? When people who are in power feel threatened, oppression of those who are less powerful is the result. Now, do you think God was surprised by this turn of events? No. He wasn't surprised at all. He knew this would happen. In fact, God actually told Abraham that this very thing would happen, that the Hebrews would be enslaved. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 15, verses 12 to 14. God knew that Pharaoh's worst human sinful inclinations would come out when he was confronted by the vast numbers of the Hebrew people. And God also knew that even the oppression which Herod, with which Pharaoh meant for evil, God could use to show his mighty power. Like Pharaoh, we all have a sinful nature. The Bible is absolutely clear about that in Romans 3, 23, that every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person. Our sin creates a barrier between us and God. It causes death in us. And God is the only one that has the solution. In fact, that's what the entire Bible is about. It's God, God's word is the story about God's relentless pursuit to remove that barrier of sin so that God can have us back, so that we can be back in a close, personal intimate relationship with him, the kind of relationship that God had in mind when he created us in love and placed us in the garden. But back to Pharaoh. In this part of the story, we see that God's new nation is in danger of annihilation in Egypt. Pharaoh enslaves the Hebrews, but even that proves not to be enough. And so he ordered that all of the Hebrew baby boys be killed by throwing them in the Nile River. And the Bible tells us, now there was a man and his wife who were both descendants of Levi. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She hid the boy for several months until it was no longer possible to keep him a secret. And she made, so she made a papyrus basket and she covered it with pitch and then she placed her child in the basket. And she put the child in the Nile by placing the basket among the reeds that were along the riverbank. All the while, the boy's sister stood at a distance watching to see what might happen. Well, as it did happen, Pharaoh's daughter was bathing down by the river and she discovered the basket. She heard a baby crying and she knew right away that it was one of the Hebrew baby boys. 
but she didn't harden her heart. She felt compassion for the boy who was obviously separated from his mother. The boy's sister saw an opportunity and asked the princess if she would like for her to go and find a wet nurse for the baby. And the princess agreed. She thought that sounded like a good idea. And so the boy's mother nursed the baby until he was weaned. And then he was taken back to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. The princess named him Moses, which means I drew him out of the water. All this time, the Hebrews are still enslaved, and they're being treated horribly by the Egyptians. And Moses is torn because on one hand, he's being raised in the palace, and yet on the other hand, he sees how his own people are being mistreated. One day he watches while an Egyptian slave overseer beats up on one of the slaves. And when Moses thinks that no one is looking, he kills that Egyptian and buries him in the sand. The next day Moses sees two Hebrews fighting with each other and he tries to break it up. And those two get angry at Moses for trying to be a ruler and a judge over them. And they ask him if he's going to kill one of them too, just like he had done to the Egyptian overseer. And that strikes fear in the heart of Moses because he realizes that his secret of murder is no longer a secret at all. And so Moses flees from Egypt and he settles in a sparsely populated place called Midian. We are all faced with various kinds of oppression, aren't we? And all of us need to be delivered. What are you oppressed by? What is it from which you need to be delivered? Moses felt torn between two worlds. There was the world of privilege and power and the world of slavery and oppression. And we'll see in just a minute that Moses had a lot of self-doubt inside of him. He didn't feel like he could speak very effectively or eloquently or, or powerfully. Lots of people feel bound by feelings of insecurity and self-doubt. And so it prevents us from stepping out and trying new things that we might think sound fun. It might prevent us from seeking that new job that might bring fulfillment to us, or it might stop us from asking the person we like out on a date because we're bound by the mistaken belief that we aren't good enough. We can be bound up by what other people think of us. Lots of us find our own value in how much we think other people value us. And so we play a constant game of trying to increase our worth in the eyes of other people. We can be bound by how much money we make or how big or long our title is or how we were treated or mistreated by family or friends. Every single one of us, <coughs> excuse me, every single one of us has scars in our lives. And sometimes they become strongholds. They strangle us. They become blockades that hold us enslaved as if we are in bondage to slavery. Moses lived for quite a while in the land of Midian. He got married. He had a family. He worked for his father-in-law's shepherding the flock of sheep. And all these years, the Israelites were still groaning under the yoke of slavery, and God heard them cry in their misery. 
God had compassion on his people. And he used the sinfulness of the Egyptians as an opportunity to reveal himself once again. One day while Moses was tending the sheep on Mount Horeb, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from a bush. And Moses observed this bush that was on fire, but it didn't burn up. And he decided to go a little closer to see how this could possibly be. And then God called him by name, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And God told him to take off his sandals and not to come any closer because the ground upon which he was standing was holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God is preparing to deliver his people from captivity, and he is about to reveal himself in three ways, which I want to take a look at this morning. First, God reveals his name for the very first time in Scripture. As soon as God tells Moses that he has chosen him to go back to Egypt and bring the Israelites out of Egypt, Moses begins to protest. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. The great I am, Yahweh. The name that is too holy to pronounce or even write out in full in the Hebrew language the pre-existent, eternal, unchanging one has chosen Moses to lead the deliverance. Of course Moses felt inadequate. And he probably felt more than a little scared. And so Moses makes excuses. But you have to remember, God wasn't asking him to do this all by himself. God owns all of the resources in the whole universe, so there is always more than enough resources at God's disposal to get the job done, whatever he asks of anyone to do. 
God said, I myself will be with you, Moses. God said, I'll send your brother Aaron along with you as a helper. God says, I'll show up in powerful miracles. Moses asked God what he should do if he got back to Egypt and nobody believed him or if nobody listened to him. And God said, what is that that you're holding in your hand? And Moses said, well, that's my shepherd's staff. And God said, throw it on the ground. And when he did, it became a snake. And then Moses picked that snake back up again and it turned back into his staff. And so God equipped Moses with several signs and sent his brother Aaron to travel with him. And Moses, Aaron, and Moses' family set off back for Egypt. And it was then that God began to reveal his power to Moses, the Egyptians, and all of the Israelites too. Moses told Pharaoh that the God of Israel demanded that Pharaoh let his people go so they could worship their God freely. But Pharaoh was awfully stubborn. God hardened his heart, and he would not let his slave labor force go. So God began to send ten powerful plagues upon Egypt, and they felt each and every one of them. First, Moses used that staff to turn all the water in the Nile River into blood and all the water in Egypt along with it into blood. But Pharaoh would not let his people go. Next, God sent a plague of frogs that were everywhere. They filled up people's houses. They crawled into their beds, into their ovens, into their mixing bowls. They crawled on people and animals. But Pharaoh would not let his people go. Third, a swarm of gnats that were like this huge cloud of dust filled the entire land of Egypt. I mean, can you imagine how annoying it would be to have millions of gnats flying around and making that horrible noise in your ears? And God would not let his people go. Fourth, a swarm of flies came and filled the land of Egypt, but not the land of Goshen, the part of Egypt where the Israelites lived. That was spared, and still God said, or still Pharaoh said, no. Next, God sent a plague on the livestock of the Egyptians, all their horses, their donkeys, their camel, their cattle, their sheep, their goats, all of the livestock of the Egyptians died right in the field. And Pharaoh said, no. Then boils broke out on the skin of all the people of Egypt, and still Pharaoh said, no. And the seventh plague was hail, which fell so hard on the land of Egypt that it beat down on the people and all of their crops. It even stripped every tree bare of all of its leaves. And Pharaoh said, no. Next was the plague of locusts, which covered the land of Egypt until it was black with them. They devoured anything that was still left in the field after the hail until nothing green remained in the entire land. And Pharaoh said, no. The ninth plague was a plague of darkness, which was complete and total darkness that covered the land of Egypt for three days. Now, this wasn't the kind of darkness that you see at nighttime where the moon and the stars are out. No, this was like complete and total darkness, the kind of darkness that you can feel it surrounds you. The kind that you say, it was so dark, I felt like I could cut it with a knife. It's like if you've ever been in an underground cave and everyone turns their flashlights off and it is so dark you can't even see the, your hand in front of your face. 
And Pharaoh said, no. Over and over, Moses said, let my people go. And time and again, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he responded with no. But God was not done yet. There was still one more plague to come, and it not only revealed God's mighty power, but it reveals and foreshadows God's ultimate plan for redemption. God said, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. So Moses spoke to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, about midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But God instructed the Israelites to take a year-old male sheep or goat, one for every household, one without blemish, and slaughter it at twilight. And he told them to take some of the blood and to put it on the sides and on the tops of their door frames of their houses. And then they were to roast the meat, eat it with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And they were to eat this meal quickly with their sandals on their feet and their staff in their hand and their cloaks tucked into their belts. In other words, they were to be ready to move out. And God said, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Well, the Israelites obeyed God's instructions to the letter. And at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing in Egypt for there was not one house without someone dead. And so the Israelites left Egypt and the Exodus took them to the edge of the Red Sea and still one more time Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he regretted that he had ever let his slaves go free. And so Pharaoh gathered his army together, 600 chariots and countless men, and they chased after those Israelites and they were trapped by the Red Sea in front of them and by the army of Egypt behind them. And yet God separated these two peoples with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then God told Moses to stretch out his hand with the staff in it toward the sea. And the Red Sea split in two and a dry path was created for the Israelites to travel right through the sea. Right between two walls of water, one on the right and one on the left. And the nation... And after they had passed through the Red Sea to the other side, God removed the barrier, and the Egyptian army started right into the sea after them. And once again, Moses stretched out his hand at God's command, and the Red Sea returned to its place. And all the Egyptians and all the chariots tumbled into the sea, and they were covered and drowned in the water. And thus the new nation left Egypt 
by the undeniable demonstration of the power of God as seen in the plagues and the crossing through the Red Sea. What do you need to be delivered from? What is holding you in bondage? Is there anything? Can there be anything that our almighty, all-powerful God cannot set you free from? <laughs> I want you to take a look at this story of deliverance from one of our own church members. Take a look. So it's, it just started out with... Um, my life is insane and um, I've got a lot going on and I was sitting in the service where Mark started talking about it was the first day of the break free class and I had started pulling stuff off my to-do list because I'm like I just can't keep doing this and I'm sitting there totally convicted and I looked at my phone and I'm like I guess I'm signing up for the break free class <laughs> So I did. So I attended the break free class, which included small group sessions. And during those sessions, several lies were revealed to me that I had come into agreement with about myself. Um, the major one being I was unlovable. And the second was unforgiveness. My father had passed away three years ago and our family splintered and to this day is still somewhat divided. And what these classes revealed to me was that I had a lot of unforgiveness in my life towards them. So Pam Schwartz, who was the leader of our small group, encouraged me to take advantage of the one-on-one -on -one healing sessions that was provided by the church. The first one that I attended was pretty profound. During that session, um, essentially a conversation with the Lord, I had such an encounter that there was a physical, tangible, presence in the room. He was with me. He shared with me how much he loved me to the point of me even sitting here trying to explain it. Can't even really accurately describe his love for me and for all of us. He delivered me from the unforgiveness and the unlovable lies that I had come into agreement with. And after that, I was like, I'm in, I'm all in. Um, I'm tired of carrying all this stuff around. Um, I want a relationship. I had an encounter and I want to know him. And he's steadily revealing things um, that I continually am dropping my baggage. I'm, I'm letting it go. I'm breaking the chains and he's helping me get there. And, uh, it's been a pretty amazing a journey. Are you tired of the bondage? Are you done carrying your baggage? Do you want to be delivered and find freedom too? 
Well, if you're struggling with something keeping you from that full kind of free life that God wants for you to have, you too can request an inner healing session from people who are gifted and have been specially trained in inner healing prayer ministry. You can contact any one of the pastors here at the church or Laura Berger, who is our director of caring ministries. And a two-person team will meet with you. It's private. It's confidential. You'll have a time of prayerful inner healing. You can also learn more about how to break strongholds in your life if you attend the Fan the Flame conference in two weeks. My friends, God is the ultimate deliverer. And only God has the solution that we all need to set us free, and his name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the Lamb of God whose blood sets us free from our bondage to sin and to death. His deliverance from sin is free, but you have to ask for it. And so I implore you to ask for the blood of Jesus in faith to be put on the doorframe of your soul and then commit to praying for the salvation of others in your life that they would know it too. Would you pray with me now? Holy God, we give you thanks for your goodness, grace, and mercy. We thank you for creating us in love and placing us in the garden. And even when our love failed, when we took that first bite of the apple, your love has always remained steadfast. Thank you, God, for your purpose in us. Thank you for your plan of salvation for the entire world. Thank you for Jesus, whose blood sets us free. Lord, help us to remember this important story of Moses and how you set the Israelites free, that there is not one thing that holds us back or holds us down that is too big for you to set us free from. So God, we place our trust, our hope, our faith in you and in the blood of Jesus. Set us free and then send us forth to share the good news with others so that they might be set free and delivered as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.